At long last, I am able to say a few words of my own. Read my lips. Government is not the solution to our problem. Senator, good morning again in America. Well, look, Big Bird. Yes, we can. Government is the problem. Welcome, everybody, to a liberal and a conservative walk into a bar. My name is Matt, and I'm a liberal. My name's Tim. I'm a conservative. Thank you so much for joining us. Be sure and check out our website, libcon.podbean.com. We're in the iTunes store, the Google Play store. We're on Twitter or on Stitcher. We're on Twitter, too, but we're also in Stitcher. Uh, you can find Tim on Twitter at libcontim. Find me at libcommatt. And please buy Tim's book on Amazon. It's called Things I Want. Uh, I want to give a shout out to uh, Jack Reese, a fellow native uh, Kentuckian who hit us up on Twitter hey. with some thoughts on education. Hey, Jack, this is your extra credit, buddy. We're looking forward to hearing more from you. Uh, I also want to say thank you to our faithful friend Sports Gal for checking up on me last week. I am feeling much better. Thank you very much. I do want to say that one downside to the uh, end of the Democratic primaries is that I will miss your uh, anti-Bernie bro rage on Twitter. Um that's been uh, that's been fun to follow for me. Uh, tonight we are going to talk about the Democrats. Last week it was all Republicans all the time. This week it's all Democrats all the time. They had a little convention thing. We have a a female nominee for president officially now. First time in history. It's a big 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 moment. I think uh, so. And we're going to talk all about it. So, how are you, sir? You doing well? I am good. I'm excited to talk about some Democrats. <laughs> aren't we all so uh i thought this was fantastic i had i had i had a lot of fun watching this this was this was great for me and i have lots and lots of fun things to say about it but what did what did what did you think as a conservative how did you how did you find this week uh i mean as a conservative it's extremely frustrating to listen to the democratic president and feel like he sounds more like a Republican than anyone in my party. So that was frustrating for me as a person. Because I liked it. I mean, I, 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 as you know, I, I love President Obama. I, I don't have... I obviously have disagreements with the man on some things, but I, I thoroughly enjoy him. And, uh, uh, you know, this was also a sort of a bittersweet moment because only so many more Obama speeches left, you know, that we get. Uh, but it is his tone, his uh, the ideas that he put forth, the, the spirit of uh, cooperation, uh, the, his talk about his talking about faith, uh, talking about uh, American um, greatness and, and who we are as a people and our courage. I, it felt like I was listening more to Ronald Reagan than to, uh, you know, a center left politician. Yeah. And that was, you know, a lot of, a lot of people made that comparison, you know, uh, saying that this was a much more Reagan esque. He sounded much more Reagan esque than, than any, anybody the Republicans have put forth in, in ages. And, uh, you know, I, I don't know from Reagan esque. All I know is that I, I, I mean, a lot of things were striking to me. But the first thing, the first thing that really hit me, I don't know that I want to say I got emotional about it, but it, I know that that Wednesday night watching, because uh, I, I missed Michelle's speech live, and and then I caught uh, Bill Clinton. I did watch Bill Clinton's speech live, and uh, 
and then I caught the the tail end of Joe Biden's and I, I went back and watched that and then Bloomberg and then of course uh, you know the president spoke and I the things that I really have enjoyed these people being in office Joe Biden and uh, President Obama and Michelle Obama and I am I am going to miss them very much. Uh, and I, I hope that they will stay in public life. I, I don't know that I believe that I, I don't see Michelle running for Congress. I know that they've, there've been people that have tried to get her to do it, but I, I just don't know that I, I don't know that I buy it. Um, but I, you know, these have been eight years of, of watching someone that I very much admired be the president. Um, and this was a guy that for me, made me believe that it was okay to be a liberal, you know, and to be proud of being a liberal and that you can be liberal and be patriotic. You can be, uh, believe in a strong defense and be a liberal. You can believe, uh, you know, in, in real patriotism and be a liberal. And I was raised in an era where you couldn't say patriotic and liberalism in the same sentence. And, now I think you very much can. And I was very, very proud to see that throughout the course of this week and the way that it increased. Um, and it just, you know, it was, it was, it was, it was a big thing for me. It really was. Um, and you know, I, I am very, I have a lot of admiration for Mrs. Clinton. Um, and you know, she's not, she, and she'll, she'll say this, she's not eloquent, but she's, she works hard and she knows the job. She really does know the job. I believe that. And I really do think that she can do a good job if she's allowed to do the job, but you know, we'll see. Um, I am done with fight song though. Uh, what is fight song? I don't even know. I, I saw song. that. Come on, the, the, I was like, what the hell is that? I don't even know what he's talking you know the, about. You know, the, the, this is my fight song thing No, uh, that they've been playing at every single, go look it up. They've been okay. playing it at every Hillary rally. Okay. And I think it played at least four times every night at the convention. And I, miss I all this. Oof, you have to have heard it. I know you've heard the song. You'd know it if, if, if you had, but uh, you'd recognize it if you heard it, but it, it's been stuck in my head all week. <laughs> and I'm like, uh, it's a little too much. So, you know, I, I mean, it, it, yeah, it's, it's, I mean, overall thoughts on, on, on the thing. I was, I was just terribly impressed. This to me was, this was a, this was a convention, man. And this should have been, if everybody in the, you know, this is my, I just wanted to be like, you know what, look, Brian, that's how you do it. That's how you do it right there. Well done. And for all the talk of discord, and I know that some of the Bernie people were there and being obnoxious, particularly the California delegation. And I know they had to be shouted down during Hillary's speech, but you know, that was to me, this was something the Democrats and liberals need to be really proud of. I thought, you know, maybe progressives don't want to feel that way, but they're entitled to that. Whatever. So. Oh, I agree. The I mean, the only I, I didn't get to listen to every single speech, but the the ones that I did listen to, I, I enjoyed all of them. Uh, Michelle Obama was was fantastic as as she always is. She's been a wonderful first lady, um, and you're absolutely right about feeling like there's you know that we've had people in the White House that I I felt like we could be very proud that these these were our representatives uh, to the world. Um, I, I didn't like Bernie Sanders' speech. 
Uh, I, I like there's a lot of things about Bernie that I like, but I I don't like divisive politics. That is my primary issue right now with uh, my party is the level of divisiveness that's there, the the amount of negativity. I, I can't get behind that. I I believe firmly in America and in the American people. Uh, I believe that that America is good and that we will continue, have been and will continue to be um, a source of inspiration for the rest of the world. So I, I can't get behind the view of America that our party puts forth. And I, from the vast majority of the Democrats that I did here speak, the view of America that they put out was much more in line with the way I think about my country and what I've seen over the last eight years and what I see looking forward. Um, the only exception to that is is Bernie Sanders. He, I think, presents a fairly negative view with all of his talk of oligarchy and the the rampant wealth inequality. I mean, the, these are issues, sure, but I, I don't think they are to the, the level that he makes it out as if we're needing some sort of political revolution. I think Obama has guided us well over the last eight years with a series of center-left policies. Would I like to see them be a little bit more center-right? Sure. but <laughs> They're still Democrats, man. They're still Democrats, you know. <laughs> so, but I you know if, if four more years of Obama is what we're getting with Hillary Clinton, then well, okay, I'm in. That's fine. I can live with that. Yeah, well, I'd, I would be happy to get it, especially considering the alternatives. Um, uh, you know, there there were some, and again, it's you know, as far as Bernie goes, Bernie does use strong language. I'll, I'll give you that, and and as do a lot of the progressives out there that just absolutely drive me up a wall um, with this Jill Stein crap and and booing during the convention speech. That was one thing that I I I did not that I was disappointed to see or hear that at least on the convention floor. Now I couldn't hear it on TV, but apparently on the convention floor, a lot of the random chance of Hillary sort of weird moments were because people from like the California Bernie folks and, and some of the, uh, the hardcore progressives were using those moments to boo and be obnoxious. And, um, you know, I'm glad that it was chanted down and that I, it really, for me, didn't d- distract from, from her speech. Mm-hmm. Um, but you know, it was out there and it's, it's proof that, you know, there are that, you know, there is that tea party wing of the democratic party. And that's, mm-hmm. that's really what these, those people are. You can really equate the same thing. Um, you know, and it'll just be interesting to see where this goes, uh, from here and where that movement, where that movement goes, uh, going forward so well and i think the tea party analogy is really good and you you can see clearly the damage that the tea party has done i mean the the lasting damage that the tea party has done to the republican party um and i think the democrats there there is that possibility of the the very far left progressives bernie sanders type crowd (laughs) Uh, that could do serious damage to the Democratic Party, because that this is what happens a lot. If you look back in history, the you get nominees who aren't able to get elected, but they're able to have this fundamental change. They're able to affect a fundamental change in their party. Um, Barry Goldwater did it to the Republicans. Um, McGovern, who we mock all the time, his ideas are actually now fairly standard 
ideas. Um, one of which I even like, he, he proposed the whole demo, grant thing, which is the universal basic income, which I'm a, I'm a fan of. Um, and, and you can see Hillary, you see it a lot in the democratic platform, but you also see it some of her, some of Hillary's ideas, you know, now all of a sudden she's wanting free college tuition in public universities for people making it less than 125,000, um, which is something I strongly disagree with. So I, but but I am not nervous about quite that. what Bernie pushed for. That's you know right, not, not quite what Bernie pushed for. Kind of met him halfway still, on that one. Uh, yeah, still still not something I can get behind. So I mean, I like I, I like Hillary. Uh, I have some of the reserves as far as the some of the shadiness and, and corruption and such. Um, but I think that she is extraordinarily competent and. You know, all politicians are going to have a little bit of a dirty to them, I guess. Uh, not that that makes it okay, but I guess that's just a fact. And then there's no getting around the fact that we've put forth Donald Trump. So anything that she, regardless of things I may dislike about her personally, they're never going to compete with how much personally I might dislike Donald Trump. Um, but the more that she does start to tack to the left the more that I have to think, well, maybe I will just vote for Gary Johnson because it, it is that that's the one thing that makes me nervous. I like you. You're a center left politician. Stay that way. Don't let yourself get pushed too far to the left. Well, and we'll, we'll see what happens, but I mean, you know, to a certain extent you've got, there's a couple of things that, that you need to remember that I would remember is that one, this is her at her most left, Right because of now I know a lot of this stuff is in the platform. So that has to make you wonder, but now is the time where she would move back a little bit towards the center, you know, because the convention's done the, you know, I mean, she's got to keep the Bernie people energized, but again, I would remind you that, you know, uh, you, you over people tend to do tend to overstate the youth vote. Um, there was that statistic that uh, I think it was Axelrod pointed out that, uh, you know, Obama would have won in 2008 and 2012, even if he didn't get the youth vote mm-hmm. and he got the youth vote by pretty good numbers, but they weren't enough to turn the election either way. So, mm-hmm. um, you know, not that they're not important. They are. And obviously we want young people to, to really get involved, but you know, the, the difference is a couple of things. One a lot of time, oftentimes that when movements are able to take over there, it is because of it, there is a, a bit of a power vacuum. And I think one of the things that the conservative movement has been missing has been a, a unifying voice. They've been looking to find that person that really defines who they are. Um, and that is able to really be a unifying factor to everybody within the party. And the one thing that the Democrats have that Republicans haven't had is Barack Obama mm-hmm. and Obama you may have had booing throughout various points. You had booing throughout Bernie's speech. You had booing that sometimes during Tim Kaine's speech and Hillary's speech. You didn't have booing when Michelle was talking, and you sure as hell didn't have booing when Barack was talking. Mm-hmm. So, you know, those and, and, and him specifically, I think he can be that voice of reason that, that brings everybody together, and his voice is a center-left voice. So, you know, it's... And it's like you say, it'll be interesting to, you know, to kind of see where it goes. Um, but again, they've got to, they've got to keep the, the youth movement mobilized. One thing that struck me as I was watching, I was watching a conversation on Bill Maher this morning from last night's show. 
Um, and they were talking about needing to keep progressives involved and getting them involved at the state level and that, and the difference between a movement and, uh, you know, a movement and, um, you know, just, a sort of an election thing, you know, to really keep it going. And one of the, one of the things that really struck me listening to this guy who was an extraordinarily progressive man who I'd sometimes like, and sometimes don't, his name is Cornell West. Uh, and he is supporting Jill Stein now and pushing her. He was a Bernie guy. And I'm not saying that he is not active because he is, but I, I think that where the difference between progressives and conservatives over the years is that progressives get all up in arms and they start screaming about, oh, the injustice and the horrible nature of, of war and poverty and yada, 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 yada. And they scream and they shout and then they all they do at best is they keep screaming and shouting and attending sit-ins. But they don't run for anything. Mm-hmm. And the difference with conservatives, man, is I'll tell you, those kids, they run for office. They're on school boards. They're in state legislatures. They're on town councils. Mm-hmm. They're looking to run for House seats and Senate seats and all this other stuff. And Democrats don't do that. Yeah. Well, the Tea Party, I mean, you got it right there. I mean, the Tea Party was is a movement. I mean, it started 2007 and is going strong in 2016. And it mm-hmm. has redefined the party, uh, in in general, what I think is negative ways. So I mean, it's there. There's no debating that because there are Tea Party candidates all over the place. I caught a I caught a, a part of a conversation on a, and I, I don't ordinarily read these, but I just happened to run across it. It was a conversation about uh, where progressives had gone in a uh, an article about the Bernie Bros or something on it was on I think Gizmodo or one of Gawker's websites. Uh, so I can't give you a direct reference for this, whoever this is. I know you're not listening, but if you are, I'm sorry for stealing your shit. Um, he, the guy was was saying, was responding to a comment by somebody saying, somebody saying, you know, liberals don't do this, don't turn into the Tea Party. And this was the response: <clears throat> Have you people been living in some sort of bizarre America where the Tea Party didn't accomplish virtually everything it set out to do? They've wrested control of Congress from the establishment, dominated midterms, and ousted cynical milquetoast legion, cynical milquetoast politicians who represented their interests in name only in favor for dyed-in-the-wool true believers. The Tea Party is essentially running the country. We're playing defense against them on Roe v. Wade, and that's the settled law of the land. The Tea Party won. Yep, I have a hard time. I have a hard time denying that statement. I, I, I don't, really do. I don't think you can deny that statement. I mean, I think that's pretty much just fact. The Tea Party won. The Tea Party is now the Republican Party. Done. It's not even a a question or a statement. Now that said, the the ridiculous, so, uh, a, a somewhat ridiculous thing though is that I think a lot of people would label Donald Trump as Tea Party, and that he comes from a lot of this. But I don't necessarily see a lot of Donald Trump's ideas necessarily as Tea Party ideas. So it's all it all does get very confusing. Uh, well, that's it. Well, yeah, when, that's when but that's see, that's the around. interesting. But I think the Tea Party Trump would definitely claim him. Say he's ours. Oh, absolutely, and he would claim them. Yeah, hardcore. Absolutely, he would. Um. We got to move on. We got to, we've, 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 we've enjoyed talking about the convention enough before we do just a, a couple of, of quick things, interesting things that have happened. We're going to get to talking about the democratic platform here shortly. 
uh, first of all, there's all this hacking going on, um, which is, is not good. And there's this specter of Russian involvement. Uh, the WikiLeaks people have gone completely off the rails. Uh, and it does seem to be concentrated almost entirely on the Democrats. It's a little freaky to me. Uh, is it is it worrying you, really? I mean, I, don't, I guess not particularly because, I mean, they're just hacking a, you know, the Democratic Party. They're not hacking into our, our government things. Uh, that's not to say that our government hasn't been hacked. Absolutely. And so I think that uh, if this does anything, it highlights the, the need and necessity for us to bolster our um, cybersecurity. Um, I, I think it is clear, considering who the Russians are hacking, who the Russians don't want as president, uh, which from every I mean, just completely guessing, I have no idea what's going on in Putin's head. But if they're hacking the DNC, it would seem that they don't want Hillary Clinton to be the next president, um, which doesn't really speak very well of Trump, that him and Putin would be on the same wavelength. Um, but I, it's not something that's keeping but me up nights. they seem to be. They, yeah. they do. I don't know that it's keeping me up nights, but it, it's concerning. unfortunate. So. Yeah. Um, in North Carolina and Wisconsin, they had passed uh, voting quote, voting rights laws, uh, both of which have been struck down. Uh, also in North Carolina, the National Basketball Association stole, took their arc, their all-star game away from Charlotte over the transgender bathroom law, uh, HB2. Um, at least in North Carolina, the response from the governor was two things. Liberal activist judges, evil progressive liberal media, blah, 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 blah. I don't want to re refight the HB two argument, but this is one of the consequences to me that, that I think both of us pointed out was that, you know, business can respond however they like. Mm -hmm. And North Carolina, it without a doubt is losing business over this HB two stuff. They've mm -hmm. lost at this stage, hundreds of millions of dollars. Yeah. Uh, and McCrory's reelection is not assured yep. uh, anymore. Um, in fact, in quite a few polls, he's losing. Uh, and of course he and the legislature went off about the activist judges in the North Carolina voting law. But I mean, I'm, I, I'm, I'm glad that the voting laws got done, got shot down. But at the same time, I feel like in, to a certain extent they are, everybody's kind of missing the point because I don't think Republicans are wrong when they say a voter ID thing is a bad idea, but when they try to enact it six months before a, an election and then get shitty when that shot down three months before the election. First of all, stop trying to act like you're not being activists too. Like you've got some kind of moral high ground here. You don't. And two, when you tie your voter ID law into a whole bunch of other stuff that really does make it harder for minorities to vote, uh, like early voting and restricting, um, uh, same day registration and voting, then, you know, yeah, you are making it harder on people that aren't going to vote for you. So knock it off. If you want to just pass to my mind, if you want to pass a voter ID law, fine, do it in, uh, do it in, in February of 2017 when there's plenty of time for people to get adjusted. Yeah. yeah. Well, and that's, I mean, I, I get the whole activist judge thing. Cause that, that is, 
an issue. Um, it, it's certainly an issue Why? in the Why sense is that always an issue that, for people? Well, well okay. The judges have to put down opinions. Okay. I mean, right. I'm starting to think let that Danny, they don't. Let they, finish. Sorry. Right. I know. Go. So I, I get the idea with activist judges, and there, there is there is danger there. There's especially a danger when, because of the amount of gridlock that, that has happened in our legislature process, that it's almost like politicians are, or congressmen are, are kicking the can down the road to the courts, right? So we don't have to make a decision. We don't have to cast a vote that might make us look bad because we're just going to, we know that the court will handle it. And I think that's that's a very serious danger. But at the same time, let's not forget that the one of the primary purposes of the court is to protect the minority from the tyranny of the majority. So if the majority is doing things that are damaging the rights of minority, that's the court's job is to protect them. And that's why this court stepped in, because they felt like it was clear that these voting ID laws were the aim of them. The purpose of them was to restrict the right to vote of a minority. So I I think it was absolutely their job to step in. I I think the vote, all of the the fuss and fight over these voting, these voting rights laws. I, I don't think this is where our energy needs to be. There is no evidence whatsoever from everything that I've read that voter fraud is some sort of major issue in our country. It is not. Uh, the major issue in our country is a lack of voter participation. So if we're wanting to attack an issue, the issue we need to be attacking is the lack of voter participation. And we need to be finding ways to increase our voter participation and things like early voting same day registration, these things broaden our voter base and that should always be a good thing. Yeah. Amen. I, you know what? I have taken advantage of, of early voting for a number of elections now. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's, I don't have to take time off work. I don't have to worry about getting there when the entire world's getting there. When I get off work and losing three hours, it's, it's fantastic. And the idea that it would be restricted would have been restricted going into this election was actually concerning me because I was worried about, you know, making sure I had, you know, the time available to me to get to vote. So I'm glad that it went down. And I will point out that at least in Wisconsin's case, there was a Republican congressman on record as saying that one of the reasons he believed they didn't have to worry about Hillary Clinton winning Wisconsin was because they had voter ID laws in place now. Which is sickening. Right. Like, and yeah, that's, it is. That's pretty much coming yeah. right out and saying, yes, we're trying to keep black people from voting. Yeah. And, and that's gross. And, and we have to be fighting against that because unfortunately, and unfortunately it's in the constitution. So there's very little, I, I believe it's in the constitution. So there's very little we can do about it. That our time to vote Tuesday is like the worst possible time for us to be trying to get the average working Joe out to come vote. Um, and so early voting that allows them to get in there and get it done on a Saturday or a Sunday when they're more free and able to do this is huge. And these things should be being pushed nationwide rather than being restricted. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I've, I've, and I've, I've, I know you and I've had this conversation, but I'm, I'm thousand I'm, times. Yeah. My, my understanding of the whole reason we vote on Tuesday in the first place is because no one wanted to travel to vote on a Sunday 
when it took a day and a half to travel to where you were going to go vote. Yeah. This is not a problem anymore, so we shouldn't be voting on Tuesdays anymore. Agreed. But that's neither here nor there. So, anyway. Um, so, good job for the applause. courts. Good job, them. Yes. I, I definitely thought so. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, round of applause this week. Who you got? Uh, I'll give my round of applause to Tim Kaine. I, I like Tim Kaine. I, th- I think he's going to be uh, – I think he was a good pick for Hillary Clinton. Uh, he was exactly what I, I thought that she needed, which was a solid center-left politician um, because she didn't need to be giving any any – she didn't need to give any reason for me and for me and my fellow moderate Republicans to avoid voting for her. And that's what she did. She gave us she gave us exactly the kind of Democratic politician that we are most likely to, to like. Um, and I, I enjoyed his speech. Uh, I felt like it was it was spot on for um, where the Democrats are right now. So, yeah, I'll give my round of applause to Tim Kaine. I, I, I enjoy I, I'm I am thoroughly enjoying Tim Kaine. You know what? Screw all of you who said Tim Kaine was not gonna be interesting or that it was gonna be boring. Tim Kaine has got this sort of Opie esque thing going on that I just think is great fun. I I I thoroughly enjoy because he just you know, that that dude just seems so happy to be up there. You know, he kept, he was smiling the entire time and he was really into it. And every time I see him at, at these rallies now, he's, he's always got a smile on his face. And like, you know, he was, he was doing the, they was trying to clap along with ain't no mountain high enough at a, at a, at a, at a rally the other day. And man, homeboy ain't got no rhythm, none whatsoever. It was like, it was, it was that hesitant clap. Like, where's the beat? Where, where's, where, where is it? It's up. Oh, nope. It's right there. And then about halfway through it, Bill, like took him by the shoulder and turned him around. And I just had this image that Bill was going, Tim, stop. You're just, you're not, you're not there. Tim, don't. You're not there. I'm the first black president. Right. I got this. My favorite comment on Twitter that night was uh, from Wired. They said, maybe Tim Kaine's speech didn't inspire you, but you sure want him to take you to soccer practice. (laughs) (laughs) I'm all over. So, yeah, I'm with you on that. I'm I'm, I'm digging Tim Kaine. Um, My round of applause goes to the good gentleman at uh, Kentucky Sports Radio. Uh, For the last couple of weeks, the KSR guys, Matt Jones, Drew Franklin, and – uh, the Honorable Ryan Lemon have been uh, doing their radio show from each convention. They took the, if you're outside Kentucky, you probably don't know KSR. Uh, certainly if you're not a Kentucky basketball fan, but they, uh, uh, they, in the slow sports season, they, they were at the broadcasting from the Republican convention last week, the Democratic convention this week. Uh, and you know what? They basically stayed out of politics and just kind of commented on what they were seeing. It was a lot of fun. It was really cool. Um, you know, them talking about the experiences of being at both conventions and what they saw and just as sort of not political reporters being at heavily political events. And it was really, 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 really interesting to listen to, uh, all throughout the week. So, uh, round of applause guys. That was, uh, that was, that was all kinds of fun. Good job. Um, <clears throat> yeah, gotta love Kentucky sports radio guys. Hell yeah, dude. Uh, go blue. Um, all right, so platform time. 
We spent last week on the uh, Republican platform. We've got a good 30 minutes or so now to talk about the Democratic platform. Uh, I, I, I did my homework, read it cover to cover. I have little highlighted notey things, annotations, if you will. Um, uh, overall thoughts? About the Democratic platform? I mean, overall thoughts, I pretty much summed up in your agenda. Uh, Would you say generally this is a wish list for Santa Claus government? Yep. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) That's what I, that's what I said. That was my line. That was your line. And I agree with it. Yeah, it is. But it's, it's, it's what I expect. I I expect nothing less out of, out of Democrats. It's a lot of pointing out problems and, um, you know, it's nice to, it's like I said, it's nice to have goals, but I want to know where the money's coming from. And that's, that's what I largely, um, thought was missing. Um, Donald Trump has mentioned uh, specifically over and over and over again. I thought it was interesting that, again, highlighting the differences between Trump and Republicans. Trump is mentioned a lot. Republicans really aren't. Right. Um, They are pretty clearly going after Trump. They're not going after Republicans. Not in general. Yeah. Um, So. I want to start by talking a little bit about about TPP. TPP is was front and center not just this week but last week. No TPP chance all throughout, uh, all throughout the uh, the convention uh, in Philly. Um, this has been a it's 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 been a thing, you know, because it has sort of become this totem for these quote bad trade deals uh, that we've been signing. This in NAFTA you know, have been up front and center with this sort of stuff lately. Um, I was impressed with actually, I was, I was actually impressed with the language, at least in the democratic platform, uh, sort of balancing the progressive side with Hillary's side. And then of course you had the hubbub with Terry McAuliffe, the governor from Virginia and saying, don't worry, she's actually going to pass TPP when she gets into office, probably a little bit of a slip of the fork tongue there. But, um, I, your, you, I, can you explain, would, would you mind explaining TPP as, as short and sweet as, as, as you can think of? Cause I know you, you're going to be better at breaking that down than I will. Well, um, I mean, the short and sweet of it is, is that China is trying to establish itself as the economic power in the trans-Pacific area and the United States as part of Obama's, uh, pivot to Asia started to put together this TPP, right? So basically we're going to try and deal with them as one number of these countries as one large economic group, much in the same way that we deal with the uh, European Union and with our uh, Canadian and and, uh, Mexican neighbors. And it's a massive free trade agreement to allow the free flow of goods from one country to another. This is going to include lots of different things from trying to establish some amount of equality in the terms of wages and uh, climate control sorts of things um, so that we're all sort we're all trading on the same level. Right. So that and, and this is where and this is the problem that a lot of people have with our trade agreements is that Americans are paid more than most of these smaller third world countries, right? So it's one thing when we come up with a free trade agreement with Europe, because in Europe, the minimum wage is as high or higher 
as ours. Now, when you start doing free trade with countries like Mexico or a lot of these countries in uh, the Pacific area, their wages are a lot lower. So the TPP is going to be try- is trying to address that so that there's not so much of a difference that our, our businesses just aren't able to compete at all. But there's also only so much that those countries at this point in time are going to be able to bring up the wages of their workers. The goal of any free trade agreement is that over time, and this is what happens, over time, the wages of those people increase and we tend to level out. Well, but just to playing devil's advocate, has that happened? Because, you know, you look at wages in Mexico. They're up. Have Are wages in Mexico up? Yeah, they're up. I mean, they're not to where we are, but I mean, they're they're up. They have they have increased over time. Um, you know, it's not going to be overnight. It's not going to, but yeah, they, well, they've but, gone I up. I mean, talk about overnight. NAFTA was 20 years ago. Right. And they've gone up. Now, is it the exact same level? No. Mexico is still a third world country. It's not, it's not going to be the same, but we get things out of this as well. I mean, we get a new plate. We get new places for us to send our goods. We get, we as American consumers get cheap goods for us to buy. You know, this is this is globalization and there are ups and downs that go along with it. But you look at the economic progress that has been made over the last 30 to 40 years uh, because of the policies that Ronald Reagan put in place and got started. And it, it's undeniable. It is undeniable that America has seen unprecedented economic growth. You know, we had we had the recession of in 2007, 2008. We have, you know, Obama did a great job of helping us to recover from that. Are we fully recovered at this point? No, we're not fully recovered. We do want to see growth get above three percent. Absolutely. But we're still far better off now than we have been at majority of times in American history. So, um I, I don't think that you can logically make the argument that free trade and globalization has been bad for the American economy. And you'll hear Democrats bash, you know, the, the famous trickle down economics of Bush and Reagan. But you know what? They worked. Trickle down economics worked. Our country has done fantastic. Ooh, it did. A bold statement. It's, it is a bold statement. But you know what? It's the truth. It worked. And we had one... We had we had one bad year and it was a really bad year and it was worldwide. There was more causes than just within America. Um, But that's it. We have had constant, awesome growth with a couple of dips and one really bad year. I think that's pretty good. Well, just and just playing. Because I, I uh, because I understand understand well kind of but I mean understand that I don't I don't necessarily I, I I don't buy into Trump and I don't entirely buy into Bernie, but as someone who can at least look at their uh, supporters and say okay I I think I understand where you're coming from because to a certain extent I I do see the fall. Of the, because I, I, I don't think that it's a bold statement. You say that the the country is in good economic shape and improving all the time, and, and I agree with that, and that uh, 
you know, in our history, we've never been in a better place, et cetera, et cetera. And trickle down economics works, you know, yada, yada, yada. But there is also this other side that doesn't really get refuted terribly often, which is that the middle class itself has been squeezed. So if we're in such a great place, then why has the middle class been squeezed? And what happened to that middle class? And how do we get that middle class back? Because I do think that the middle class has been squeezed and I do think that it's been disappeared, that it has disappeared. And I do think that it is largely due to a loss of a good manufacturing base and stronger unions. They mentioned unions in the, in the, uh, you know, workers' rights and things like that in the democratic platform. I was glad to see that because I do think that a loss of all of these things has caused us to lose a stronger working class, really not even necessarily middle class. I think it's because our working class has been relegated to flipping burgers and making 10 bucks an hour when they used to be able to count on, uh, you know, longer term jobs that paid them 20, 30 bucks an hour and union support and things like that. So when you take your outlook, which is very optimistic and I think is, is largely correct, but then I think this other angle is also largely correct, but much less optimistic. How do you reconcile the two? Well, because there are aspects, right? There, there are aspects of free trade and globalization that could have been done better, right? There, there, because there is no dispute in the fact that the middle class has. Well, no, I, I know you know what I will, I will dispute it. Their, their middle class has has struggled some, uh, but I, I, I don't see this massive destruction of the middle class. Uh, I. I'll, I'll rephrase that. I don't want to, I don't want to, I don't like using the word term middle class. I want to just re- re- forget I said middle class and okay. replace that with working class. Okay. Yeah. And it, well, and you're absolutely right there, right? That we as, we as America struggled to find the, the next thing, right? We, we struggled to find the best ways to re to, to move people into new sets of jobs. Um, when we started to lose out on some of these manufacturing jobs. So I, I don't think that the push needs to be, we need to build a bunch of new factories and a bunch of new things. I, I think we just need to find other forms of, of jobs that are out there, whether these are technology-based uh, computer-type jobs, whether these are healthcare jobs, um, whatever these may be, because you're right that we don't, the, the, I, don't think the profit margin the profit margins simply aren't there for people to make long-term solid middle class lives off of flipping burgers or off of working at Walmart. The profit margins just aren't there. They they don't make enough money off of these things. Um so we do need to do a better job of educating and moving people into better sorts of jobs. Absolutely. And that's where you know, we failed to an extent with, with globalization and free trade. Uh, but the overall effect, that doesn't mean that free trade and globalization are bad. They just need to exactly. be done yeah. a little bit better. Um, and, and you're right. That's that what, yeah. The, yeah. the Democratic Party did, did touch on that some in their platform. And Trump touches on that some as well. But it's, it's not that they don't present it that way. They, they don't present it over and over again as free trade, good. Globalization, good. Are there things we need to tweak? Yes. But these things are good. 
they tend to focus way more on you should be angry and upset because you've been given a raw deal. Yeah. And, and it's not, yeah, that's, that's, that's okay. Right there. That's, that's, that that's the difference between where, where I stand and the way that I look at this problem and the way that the tea party looks at the problem or the Brexit folks look at the problem. You don't, because that angle of globalization was handled badly, you don't abandon globalization. You try to fix the problem. Exactly. And, that, and that's what I would say. And that's, and that's the problem with all this anti TPP talk, because honestly reading about TPP, I think it's actually a pretty solid idea, right? You know, you want to make this part easier, this, this idea of trade easier. And if there's a way to squeeze the Chinese a little bit bonus, because that needs to be done. But, uh, you know, you at the same time don't want to hurt our own economy any further. And I think that the way the Democrats worded all of that, obviously based on the Bernie people's feelings, that was that that phrasing must have been very carefully chosen. Mm-hmm. And I thought they did a good job of putting that section together, at least. With, uh, with the exception of the fact that they still try to lay the blame on large on, on corporations, right? When in, in actuality, one of, in getting corporations to pay their fair share and ignoring the fact that one of the reasons why all of these issues come about with corporations dodging taxes and doing all those things is that we have a ridiculously high corporate tax. So if you want to bring jobs back into America, you need to make this a place that is very appealing for corporations to do business. We've already got a bonus because we're the United States and we're a nice place to do business in general. But with the corporate tax rate so high, it forces corporations to try to find ways to dodge and get around and put their bases here or over there. And especially with globalization, where you see all these corporations from different countries combining, we want them to have their bases here in the United States. And to do that, we don't need to be trying to tax corporations more. We need to tax them less. And I think that is a primary difference between Democrat, the way Democrats see it and Republicans see it. And that's at least one place where I do agree with Donald Trump because he does talk about cutting the corporate tax rate. Well, and I don't have a problem with cutting the, the corporate tax rate at all. I don't because I, I do agree that I that I can see where that hurts. But at the same time, I don't what I don't like. And, and they do address it. They have a very lo- a, a couple of paragraphs in there about uh, stopping corporate concentration. Yes. And trying to promote co- promote competition because that is one product of all this deregulation that has really bothered me over the last last few years is that you know just media companies we used to have hundreds of different media companies around this uh, around the country in uh, music and the film business and television and book publishing and all of these different uh, and the news uh, uh, newspapers news channels um, and just because of all of this deregulation, now you really have like five okay. companies that control all of the media in this country. In the, in this country, and all of this merging and squeezing together, and buying out and purchasing up of, of smaller businesses, it's made it tougher for smaller businesses to get going. And. Uh, it's the kind of thing that I, I, I don't think helps with competition. And I think it hinders it in a lot of ways. And I think it is why there has been this 
death of small business over the last 20 or 30 years. Okay. We are on the exact same page, sort of. So one, I completely and wholeheartedly agree that this corporate concentration that we've, we've seen is bad. Um, and I, I mean, there's even, I mean, you know me, I get everything from the economist. So, I mean, there, there was an entire special briefing on this issue that this is one of the primary struggles, primary problems with our economy right now is this, the concentration of power in a few hands and our antitrust people need to step up, get in the game and start breaking up some of these corporations and some of these big banks. Now, where I disagree with you is the idea that these people are all combining because of deregulation. They're combining because of regulation, because the more regulations there are, the better, the, the more that you're going to see bigger banks and bigger corporations, because they're the ones who have the manpower to sort through all of the regulations. They've got the teams of lawyers. The small business guys don't. If you want to see small businesses thrive, you need deregulation and delight. You need to cut back on the, the amount of licensings that you have to get and all of these things so that small business owners can jump right in. And I'm speaking from experience because I've done this. I've started a small business and it is tough when it's just you trying to sort through all of the crap and make things happen. It's a lot harder than when you're big giant corporation with their teams of lawyers. Well, that's fair. But why then are antitrust laws largely impotent these days? Because we some or, or they've, or they've been overturned completely. Um, I don't have an answer for that. And they shouldn't be antitrust laws are good. That is, they're a very Republican thing. Theodore Roosevelt, Republican, one of the first, you know, one of the biggest antitrust busters out there. So, I mean, absolutely. We need to get in there and we need to break up some of these big, massive companies. Agreed. Because because in this climate, you know, you look at the the antitrust laws that broke up Ma Bell, you know, 30 years ago, 40 years ago. Uh, I, I don't think that that in this in this climate, I don't think that breakup happens today. In fact, I think it's encouraged, you know, but I think that 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 breakup actually did quite a lot to help the telecom industry. Mm-hmm. Um. It did a lot. And uh, well, and one of the things, this is an interesting aspect. And this is where part of it is not so much that the antitrust laws have been, you know, uh, uh, have been detoothed or whatever, defanged. It's not so much that as that they failed to keep up with modern corporations and modern technologies. Right. And the things that they're doing, you look at Google, you look at Facebook and what they're doing is that the moment that, a company starts to get good and get big, Facebook buys them. Google buys them. They spend billions of dollars scooping up Instagram, scooping up Snapchat, right? So that they... Uh, Apple Apple does the same thing. Apple does the same thing. So before there can even be a real competition for these antitrust people to be taking a look at, these smaller companies have already been purchased. And so that's... That's I think that's one of the big issues is it's not that these antitrust laws have been uh, defanged so much as they failed to keep up with the changes in modern times and they need to be they need to be adjusted. And do you think do you think that that larger that that 
that purchasing model that has happened, particularly in Silicon Valley, because you're absolutely right. Uh, do you think that that, at least in part, is is hurting competition? It's absolutely hurting competition. I mean, that's not even a question. It absolutely is. And what's very unfortunate is that I don't hear any of the Republicans talking about this. I don't I don't no. hear any Republicans yeah, talking about the need to break up corporate concentration. So I was very I did a little dance when I saw that in the Democratic platform, because a lot of the Democrat form was just depressing for me. But that absolutely. And I was very excited to see that in there. Um, OK. Other things in the platform that I liked, they mentioned paid family leave 12 weeks. I like that. Very nice. And they referred to it as family leave mm-hmm. for both parents, mm-hmm. um, which I think is, is outstanding. Not to say that maternity leave is not important in and of itself. It is. But I think it's even better if you can have both parents getting it. So that's 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 great. Absolutely. Um, I don't think that you can underestimate the importance of paid family leave. Uh, and it's, de- again, deeply depressing for me that I don't see a lot of Republicans shouting and fighting for this with the exception of Ivanka Trump. Who's really a Democrat? Let's, let's face it. That's, this is also true. Um, <laughs> but I completely agree with their speech. And be, because with paid family leave, you know, you, you look at women as a group and this is an economic powerhouse that is currently being held back because they're the ones who have the babies and have to take care of the babies and this interrupts their career. And if they can't do that, if they can't have a child and know that they're going to have enough, be able to take time off paid to be able to take care of that child, then they're either a not going to have children, which is no good. We want children. This is good for the economy or two. (laughs) They're not going to, um, they're just not going to work and that's no good either. So we're, we're, we're cutting the legs off of one of our, a foundation of our economy by not having paid family leave. So I, I firmly support it. A, amen to that. Um, they mentioned statehood for DC, which I've, Random. I'm, I'm, is that I'm, a thing? I'm a big fan. A- of, yeah. I, I guess it's a thing. I've heard it. I've heard it discussed in several places. In fact, John Kasich had, but John Kasich had very specific, uh, very specific and fr- quite frankly, very honest assessment of why statehood for DC would not be a thing uh, because Republicans control Congress. And if you've, uh, and he said this straight out, DC is largely democratic. We're not going to support it as long as the Democrats control DC. That's more Democrat voters out there. Wow. Well, I guess kudos for honesty. (laughs) Can't really Um, argue with that. I guess, Um, you know, uh, well, I mean, talked about it. I don't know. I mean, how about the fact that, this, I mean, the whole reason it was created was so that our capital wouldn't be in any one state. I mean, there's a reason why our founding fathers did that. So, yeah, very true. Also, um, so I, you know, I don't, I, I don't know that I care one way or another. I, I just thought it was interesting that it was in there. I guess you only care um, if you live in DC. Uh, maybe so, you know, I, but, but as I understand it, a lot of people that work in DC don't actually live in DC. Is that the case? Don't a lot of people live in like Arlington and, uh, I, uh I've heard that various as well. areas around it. I, I don't know. Um, but anyhow, uh, I'm sure I probably just offended somebody who actually lives in DC now. Uh, I'm, I'm sorry. I didn't mean it that way. Um, they, uh, there, there, there was a lot of talk about, you know, rebuilding our crumbling infrastructure. It's all in there. And I'm, I'm all for it. 
Invest in infrastructure. God, for heaven's sakes, why the hell haven't we done this? You know, why is this an issue? Why is this even a question? Still, because you even hear Republicans yeah. talking about this now. This need to invest in infrastructure. So why isn't this just happening right now? If we have a president who is pro-infrastructure, if we have congressmen who are pro-infrastructure, why aren't we investing in infrastructure? Right? It's kind of like fixing the tax code. You know, they all talk about this all the time. They both want to fix the tax code, so fix the damn tax code. Yeah. Like, you know, they both want to invest in infrastructure, so invest in the damn infrastructure. Yeah, we talk, understand talk what about, the problem is. We need to find, there are places we can find common ground, and we'll work on, okay, great. Well, there's common ground. It's right there. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Exactly. Uh, they mentioned a national infrastructure bank. I was a little confused about how that did you, you said you were looking that up earlier. Did you have success looking that up? I, I didn't have time to really research it. Well, I mean, I, what I was looking up was the, the import export bank, which is very different, but the, the national infrastructure bank idea is just basically this idea that you would create a bank that was solely focused on giving out loans to companies to do infrastructure building. So yeah. I don't I don't really necessarily see why that's necessary. I mean, we built the yeah, entire really interstate system without a national infrastructure bank, so a part of me feels like that's just one more government layer. Um but if that's what it takes, okay, <laughs> like whatever whatever yeah, we got to do that's... to get in the game and 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 get this fixed, you know? I mean, we are we're America. We've got we pl- we we hold all the cards, and all of the damage that we're doing to ourselves from an economic standpoint is completely self-inflicted um, by having an infrastructure that's that's crumbling rather than keeping up with all of these countries that are doing nothing but building infrastructure. We're just shooting ourselves in the foot. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I liked from an education standpoint. I liked that at the. Uh, when they were talking, there was, there was the whole issue of, of at the university level, which was discussed uh, in detail. Obviously they had, they had included the uh, free public college for families making under 125,000. That is a, it's a compromise point for what Bernie was after because Bernie just wanted free college, uh, which I don't think was an achievable goal. Cute idea, but you're not going to be able to pay for it. Uh, this is also, I also think that this is a pipe dream. I think it's a cute idea, but I don't see how you're going to get to it because again, it comes down to how you're going to pay for it, which gets back to my overall thoughts on a lot of this. And the reason I referred to it as sort of a Santa Claus government wish list is because I don't think that the national debt is a national crisis at the level that some people talk about it, but I definitely think it's a thing. And I think that the debt, it's not, there's no denying that the debt has increased it's definitely a thing. under Obama, under Obama. It's, it's something that has got to be considered. And well, the debt's increased, but he stuff, has in fairness to Obama, we, as you talk about, we talk about the national debt and then we talk about the national deficit, right? Um, he has at least decreased the national deficit, which is the first step towards decreasing the national debt. So, right. But he hasn't, you know, and there's one, but the, but this, this is largely not 
addressed in other than we'll decrease and start paying back the national debt with, you know, tax the millionaires and billionaires and pay your full share and yep. yeah, 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 et cetera, et cetera. How are we going to, they even say that. How are we going to pay for all these things? Tax the rich and make corporations pay their fair share. I they rob, even say, rob, I'm like, rob, well, rob the rich to feel reason I'm not a Democrat right there. Feed the poor right S- there. Summed it up. Whereas the Republicans included a balanced budget amendment in their platform, which I think is a great idea if you can pull it off. So, you know, my problem with the college thing, it's an interesting idea, but you can't, uh, we can't afford that. We just can't. I'm sorry. Well, and we can't afford it, nor, I don't know if we should. Like, I also this don't think is, it's an answer. Uh, exactly. Well, and it's the same issue that I have with healthcare sometimes. This idea that, well, it's super expensive, so we'll just have the government pay for it. Rather than addressing the fact that, hey, this is super expensive. We need to find ways to make this actually cheaper to do. We need to find ways to make it actually cheaper to provide people with health care, not just have the government pay for it. We need to find ways to make public education in college cheaper rather than just getting the government to pay for it. Agreed. Absolutely. 100% agreed. Um, and we'll, we'll talk more. I'm, I want to do an entire, I think we need to do a, a good section on education, which we will do uh, uh, in a, in a, in a show or two. There's a lot to discuss here. Although I will say that at lo- at the lo- they mentioned at the local level, they talk the way that they talk about education is not through. They talk about encouraging. They use the word encourage several occasions, uh, and also removing using. They said specifically using testing as a weapon to provide funding and stopping that model. Which I think is is spot on, absolutely. Absolutely, that has got to stop. Fixing the standardized testing system mm-hmm. and discussing the federal government's involvement in local education mm-hmm. as encouraging, not regulating. Mm-hmm. And I was relieved to see that, frankly. As am I. And I, you know, we we can try to jump on Obama all we want with Common Core and such, as if this is the cause of the testing, but that's just not the case. No child left behind, the brainchild of Republicans, was the cause of all of this testing. So that's which has been we, which has we, been we fixed. can't we can't we can't forget that well, removed it, which has yeah. been removed finally. So yeah, a little bit of bipartisanship there that was awesome. Um, we put it in play bipartisan and then got rid of it bipartisanly. So awesome. Um, so yes, I wa- I was glad to see them say things like that from a part of the standpoint of encouraging teachers and, and that sort of thing. Um, but at the same time, I don't trust, I don't trust Democrats to do that. I, I think that they end up, <laughs> I, I just don't like, cause we, we look at when, and I, I know I've said this before, but we talk about teachers and we need to pay teachers more. A lot of times teachers actually make a decent amount of money. It's just that we've made teaching suck because of all these regulations and all of the paperwork that we that have been forced upon teachers if we just got out of their way a little bit and i know you hate the word deregulated a little then maybe teaching wouldn't suck quite so much no i don't mind the term deregulation in that in that context i think you're absolutely right i my my problem with deregulation is when when it really seems to just benefit corporations, you know, because it's a, you know, and I've said this several times, we talked about it last week, 
a fundamental difference between Republicans and Democrats is Republican Democrats say, put your trust in government. Government can handle it. This is a ster- These are stereotypes. Mm-hmm. And the stereotype on Republicans is put your trust in the private sector, corporations, they'll handle it. Right. And I, and again, those are stereotypes, but I, I do not believe that government is an entirely useless entity nor do I believe that it can do everything. I do not hate the private sector, but then I also don't trust corporations any further than I can throw them. Mm-hmm. I have a, a mistrust for corporate America, very similar to the mistrust of the government that our parents have. So I want things that are right in the center, and that's how, that's how I want my education, too. Um, very quickly, things that bothered me. Uh, I just... Stupid Mike. Ah! Uh, it's moving around all over the place on me. Um, things that bothered me. They uh, they mentioned uh, incentivizing profit sharing. I'm not entirely sure how that would work, but again, that seems like a large reason for the government to spend money. I don't know why that would need to be there, uh, but I think private sharing is fine. Uh, they talked about a model employer executive order, which would give federal support for providing a living wage to various uh, corporations. Uh, again, why would you, in, in this day and age, with all the problems with executive orders, why would you push an executive order right. in your platform? Well, this should that be legislation. Seems, this should not be executive order. This should be legislated. And again, I don't necessarily think it should be necessary. But, I mean, it's an interesting idea. But, again, it's more just more government spends money on stuff. Right. I don't agree with I'm sorry. I don't. We've talked about it a lot. I don't agree with a $15 an hour minimum wage. I just don't. Sorry. I don't think it's a good idea. I want to see better. I want to see better jobs out there where you don't have to worry about living off minimum wage. I think mm-hmm. that, that that problem needs to be addressed in a different way. But that's me. Um, and, I, you know, the healthcare section, I understand why in, in healthcare. First of all, retirement stuff I thought was pretty standard democratic toe the line, invest in social security, no privatization, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, and healthcare was sort of very toe the line, I thought as well. It didn't really address any uh, specific new solutions, but where it comes to healthcare, Obama's still in office. The ACA has been such a flashpoint for people. I, I don't know that they could have put any more in there reasonably. I think that a lot of what I want to. S- what may happen on healthcare in a Clinton administration would be let's get wait until Obama's out of office and then sit down and let her see what her, what they feel like they need to do to improve the system. So, uh, I don't know. Yeah. Any, what do you got? What else? Was there anything in there that particularly scared you? Um, well, I mean, just the, the anti privatization. I mean, I'm very pro privatization of social security I think that that, when we talk about the wealth inequality, we talk about the squeezing of the middle class. I think the fact that we have forced people for their retirement to depend on Social Security, this does severe damage to our middle class uh, because the middle class can't pass on their wealth, right? Because Social Security isn't their money. This isn't something that they own and can then pass on to the next generation. This is something that the government has and controls. Whereas if we were to privatize, then their retire whatever retirement money they don't use can be passed. Privatize? Privatize? Whatever. Um, Privatize. <laughs> they, this can then be passed on to the next generation 
leading to better wealth equality. I know like they, they go after for-profit schools, which, okay, I get that there's been some issues, but in my head, I'm like, well, are we going to go after public schools? Any, any thoughts there? Um, you know, I, they say in there the, that they'll oppose any Republican plans to slash funding and block grant Medicaid and stamp and snap. I, I disagree with that. I like, I like block granting. Um, so I'll, all of those, any of those sorts of things are going to make me nervous. Uh, what did you think about that? Uh, the conflict of interest rule, because I know you're not a, you're not a fan of financial advisors. Oh, oh my um, gosh. So, so strongly agree with, with that one. You know, we talk about all of the, the licensing issues that are out there, right? That, you know, you have to be a, you know, license just to be a hairdresser, but you don't have to get a license to be a financial advisor. Wait, what? How does that work? How, what? I, I can just go so, out right so, now. I can call myself a financial advisor. I, I can take that title. This was discussed in phenomenal detail on the John Oliver show a few weeks ago, guys. So definitely go out and look for that. But the statement we're talking about in the platform states that we will fight against any attempt by Republicans in Congress or on Wall Street to roll back the conflict of interest rule, which requires that retirement advisors put the best interests of their clients above their own financial gain. Yeah. Fi- financial advisors have a... I, you know, not all financial advisors are bad. Absolutely not. Some are very good. Some are legitimately trying to help. Some probably think that they are helping when actually maybe they're not. Um, you know, but th- this is a, an enormous issue that things like uh, whole life insurance and annuities, uh, things that are, you know, big profit makers for the companies, but aren't necessarily the best thing for. Uh, Joe Schmo as he's trying to build his retirement. We are uh, far over time. Um, and before my uh, my dear brother dies of a heat stroke, we probably need to be moving this along. Uh, we have the last couple of weeks, we've talked in depth about both the Republican and Democrat Party, Democratic Party platforms. Uh, both of these are available online from the uh, party websites. If you just Google uh, 2016 Democratic platform, 2016 Republican Party platform, uh, you can find PDFs of everything that we've discussed the last couple of weeks. I would absolutely encourage you to do that. They're, they are not in any way ripping good reads, but they are uh, they are very interesting to know where both parties are trying to take the country over the next four years, and I would highly encourage you to do that. So uh, I, I believe we are done. So why don't you take us out with something cool? Something cool. There has been a 67.4% decrease in the number of homeless veterans in America. I think that is something very cool. That's good news. I I didn't realize that uh, that's really good news, especially considering some of the things that actually that you showed me today. Um, But uh, yeah, no, that's, that's very good news. And hopefully that'll continue to drop. Uh, that's all we got for this week. Thank you so much for joining us. Be sure and check us out on Twitter. I'm at Libcon Matt. Tim is at Libcon Tim. Uh, we hope you've enjoyed it. We hope you'll come back and have an outstanding week. Take care.